Okay. Let's take some time real quick uh, to pray before we get into this, and then, um, and then we'll just go to God's Word. Father, I do thank you so much for uh, just the fact that we can be here. Father, that you came, and that, uh, or that you sent your Son, and that you put on flesh, dwelt among us. And, and I just thank you so much that you did that work so that we could respond. I, I thank you that you didn't just do it 2,000 years ago, but, but that you're doing it today, and that you allow us to be a part. I pray that in this time, as, as we focus on the work that you did, we'll be reminded of the work that you're doing. And so, God, right now in this time, I just pray that each and every person in this room will be able to forget about the things that they've got to face tomorrow, the troubles that might be that might just be um, rocking their world right now, the, the, the difficulties of life, the exciting thing that they've got to look forward to when they get home, whatever it is. pray that we could just put our lives on hold for just a moment. Father, that you would help us to block everything out and just focus on you. I pray that as we see um, the work that you've done and your son exalted, that you would transform our lives and that you would make us... Um, or help us to be sweetly broken and, and wholly surrendered. I, I, I pray that you would help us to, to look at our lives and examine them in light of your truth and in response to your grace, and, and that we would just be moved, and that we would walk in a closer step with you. It's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, we, uh, in the book of John, once again, I let you guys down. I didn't do a PowerPoint. Page 736 in your Bibles, though. If you don't have a Bible with you, 736 in the Bible that's underneath the seats at the end of each aisle. It's easy for everybody to find. Uh, it comes right after 735, and so it shouldn't be too difficult just before page 737. But uh, John chapter 1. We have a lot of people in here that don't know where we've been, and so I feel compelled to do a review and, and just kind of talk about the things that we've seen in, the, in that chapter. Tonight we're going to close out this first chapter of John, and and um, get ready for what God has next. But, but ultimately, what I want us to understand as we do this, you know, is that, uh, well, there's a lot of things I want you to understand. Let's just, let's just review, and, and we'll just pray that God does his work, and that then as we get to our text tonight, we'll see what he has for us. John opens his book in the first 18 verses. Uh, this, he opens this gospel message in these first 18 verses and just blatantly, you know, not overtly in any way. Um, he just wants everybody to know that Jesus is God and, and that, that uh, he's eternal, has always been God. And he presents for us this picture of the Trinity, or at least two persons of the Trinity. And, and um, as he does that, you know, uh, we can't wrap our little bitty physical minds around that completely. We can't totally understand it. And, and as we do, it's oftentimes probably more limiting or at least limits what the Trinity really is all about. So I don't want you to hear me say, don't try and illustrate it or think of it in terms of something. But just understand that as you think of the Trinity or, or how God relates to himself in and amongst his, his three persons, as you illustrate that or refer to it in some way in your mind and try and grasp hold of it, I think it's imperative that we not get so locked on to our, our own view or our own perspective of what it is. And, and we're going to talk about this further at the end, but, but I want to start here because if we do this, we'll be much like the Jews or we'll be in danger of being much like the Jews of Jesus' day. In fact, as John opened this letter, he reminded the people that Jesus came to his own, but they received him not. They, they wouldn't receive him, and that ultimately the reason was is that they were blind to him. They missed the Messiah. These, these people who had been looking for the Messiah for generations totally missed him because they had this picture of what he was going to be and had this picture of this role that he was going to play and this job that he was going to do. And when this man Jesus stood up and was, was first witnessed to by John the Baptist and this is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sins of the world and then who began to develop his own ministry and people began to follow him, he didn't fit their model. He didn't fit their picture of what the Messiah was all about. So they missed him. They rejected him. 
And so we must come to this place where we read this scripture and we read these first 18 verses of John. And, and while we can't totally understand it, we can't completely explain it, the reality is, is that it's God's word and it's his explanation of who he is. God sent his son. You know, he, Jesus was with him in the beginning. That's what, that's what it all says right there at the first part of John. It says that in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. And he presents this picture that it's the same but different. He goes on to say that the word became flesh, and we know that to be Jesus. And he did it for a very specific purpose. So that, so that those who would receive him, accept him, believe in him, could be made into the children of God. Not by man's decision, but by the work of God. God's work in their life. And so he did this also in addition he, in becoming a man, he makes an invisible God visible. You see, we can look at Jesus today, or, and we can look at his life today, and while we don't see his physical body, and we, we can see his works, and we can see what he's done, and God, an invisible and internal, um, yeah, uh, uh, infinite, ungraspable, ungraspable God is made evident. He's, he's made to, to be able to be seen. And he makes himself known through his son. And so as, as John sets that up, that prologue is really, it's, it's the introduction to what he plans to do throughout the rest of this gospel message. It, it's, it, he's setting up the whole story. And then where he starts, as, as, as he closes that prologue out and lets us know that by, by looking at Jesus, we can see God. As he closes that out, he then turns and begins to describe what Jesus began to do as he began to minister. But he doesn't start first with Jesus. In fact, he starts, on, he gives us a four or five day picture of how Jesus begins to minister. He starts with John the Baptist. And we looked at John the Baptist quite a bit. And we've, we've talked about the things that he's done. Um, Ultimately, his whole role was to humble himself, to point people to Jesus, to prepare them for the coming Messiah, ultimately. And, and, and when Jesus came on the scene, he was to step out of the way and, and point people to Christ. And that's exactly what he did. Exactly what he did. He's, he's approached by some Jews, some Pharisees, and, and uh, they ask him, you know, who are you? What are you doing? By what authority do you do this? He says, hey, I'm just a just a lowly messenger. I'm here to point people to the one that's going to do a substantial work in people's lives. He says, you know, I baptize with water. I do a superficial work. I call people to repentance and I baptize. I baptize with water. But the one that's going to come after me is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. He's going to rock your world. He's going to transform people. He's going he's to bring people to eternal life. He's going to do that work. And so the, the time we come to, at least John, as he begins to talk about it, the time that he comes to is after the baptism of Christ. And so he's our, John the Baptist has already seen the skies open up, uh, the spirit come down in the form of a dove. He's already heard the voice of God speak from heaven and say, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And that's the moment he'd been waiting for. He'd been waiting for that moment. In fact, the text tells us that, that uh, when... Uh, when that happened, that's, that's what he was looking for. He was waiting for the Spirit to come down on a man, and when that happened, he knew that man was going to be the Messiah because that's what he'd been told. So that, that happens. Jesus Christ is taken out to the desert for 40 days and uh, tempted. You know, we don't hear all about this in John. It's, it's through the rest of the Gospels. But, but this point that John the Apostle begins to share about is right after that, right after Jesus comes back from the desert and, and he's walking along and John the Baptist sees him, He's doing his thing. He's out preaching repentance, baptizing people, and he sees Jesus, and he says, hey, there he is. That's the guy I've been telling you about. He's the, he's the one. He's the Lamb of God. He's going to take away the sins of the world. And he begins to point to Jesus. Day one in John's gospel. Day two, John the Baptist again, standing, or actually that was day two. Day three, John the Baptist again, standing, doing his thing. You know, that's his life. His life is all about baptizing people, calling them to repentance, preparing them for the Messiah. Doing his thing. He's standing there with two of his disciples, two of his followers, and he says, there's the Lamb of God. There's the Messiah. There's the one that I've been preaching about, the one I've been talking about. 
And those two guys are so intrigued, it's, we find out that it's Andrew, and I believe the other one was John. <coughs> He's never named, but I, that's who I think it is. And uh, Anyway, so Andrew and, and this other disciple are, are uh, so intrigued by this that they follow Jesus. Jesus sees them. He turns around. He says, what are you seeking? They say, where are you staying? They invite themselves over for dinner, and they sit and they listen to him. They, he, he, we don't know what he told them, but what we do know when they came out, they had a much different view of Jesus than when they went in. So much so, in fact, that as, as uh, Andrew is struck by this truth and changed by this truth, he goes and gets his brother. He goes and gets his brother and he says, hey, we found the Messiah. This is the guy we've been waiting for, this guy that we've been looking for all this time. We found him. Peter gets up and goes and meets him. And, and Jesus, in this very first meeting with Peter, says... Your name's going to be called Cephas. You know, his name was Simon at the time, and he says, your name's going to be called Cephas, or Peter in our language would be rock, stone. And so ultimately demonstrating what Jesus was going to do through Peter's life. And, and these two, two lives were radically transformed by what Jesus was doing in them. These two men went from, went from looking for a Messiah and expecting a Messiah to following the Messiah. They met Jesus, they were transformed by him, and began to walk behind him, began to follow him. And their lives, as we talked about last week, have radically impacted the, th the, the generations to come. And, and tonight, we pick our story up right there. It's going to be John chapter 1, verse 43. We'll pick our story up right there. We've seen two lives transformed, and here we're going to find two more lives transformed, and we'll, we'll gain a greater perspective about what Jesus is doing. So if you'll just read along with me, we'll start in chapter, chapter 1, verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about the one whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw while you were still sitting under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You shall see greater things than that. He then added, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So here we are. We've got two more lives. We first have seen Andrew and Peter. We've seen um, John the Baptist doing his thing. We've seen Andrew and Peter's lives changed and transformed. And now we're introduced to Philip and Nathaniel. And once again, we see their stories. Now, as you add this all up, as you think about all of these people that we've been introduced to in this first chapter of the, the Gospel of John, there's one thing that they definitely all have in common. They all have a story. And that story was intersected by the life of Christ. And you see, the reality is, is that everyone has a story. Everyone has a story. I can remember when Amy and I were dating and Actually, I don't even think we were dating yet. This was, this was like she was really wanting to date me, and, and she was just hanging out with me all the time. I almost couldn't get her to leave me alone, you know, and um, I don't know why. You know, I, I, I am a pretty good guy and good looking and all, but anyway, no, I'm just kidding. I loved her being around, but we got to talking one night. One of the first in, intellectual or deep conversations I think we had, we were sitting playing a card game. Uh, called speed and just trying to get rid of cards as fast as we could sitting there shuffling and I said what's your story she said well I don't really have a story see because in our in our culture in our in our church culture we exalt people with a silly testimony like mine you know we look at people who have stories of of being gang members and and drug addicts and, and porn addicts and, and, and these people that have this radical problem with sin that's, 
that's socially unacceptable. And we exalt them as we see what God does in their life. And I don't want you to, I don't want you to walk away from this saying, well, man, we shouldn't get excited about what God's doing, these radical changes in people's lives that he makes. As he brings them out of that sin, I don't want you to, I don't want you to downplay that or, or, or wash, it out, wash it out. But you see, the reality is, is that anybody who's come to Christ, no matter how good you think your decisions were, or no matter how good you might have been socially, the reality is, you don't deserve it. And you're a sinner. And without his work, without his transforming power, you're as condemned as I was. You see, that's the truth of the gospel. And, and, and that's the story that these guys shared. And, and while likely they were, they were following the laws, and, and, and likely these men, while they weren't uh, students that had been chosen by other rabbis, and and, and they weren't uh, men who were, who were uh, you know, exalted in the Jewish culture, culture or looked at highly in the Jewish culture. You know, they're just fishermen. Even they were likely doing all they could to follow the legal system that the Jews followed in that day. And so likely, if you had looked at the outside of their life, they would have been partaking in the sacrifices. They would have been doing the things that they'd been commanded to do. Likely, you would have looked at their lives and probably said, oh, they're good people. But it wasn't until they met Christ that their lives became more than just a bunch of works. You see, they all had a story. We saw Andrew's story. Andrew was... was taught by John the Baptist and pointed to Christ by John the Baptist. Peter, his story started with his brother and his brother saying, I've found the Messiah. And, and Peter goes and meets him and we don't know exactly when his conversion happened, but what we do know is that the minute he met Jesus, Jesus knew him as if he'd always known him. The same thing happened with Nathaniel. And then we see these two guys who are from Bethsaida Following Jesus, at least these two guys, it may be that John's there along, along with, with them. But we see these two guys that were from Bethsaida, who were fishermen, who were from this fisherman's village. And, and Jesus goes and finds this guy, Philip. And the way this is worded, now I'm not a Greek scholar, and I, you know, I, I, I play one every Sunday night, but, but I'm really not. Uh, but I have a lot of Greek scholars that I, that I lean on heavily, and they're solid guys. But ultimately, they present this picture, this verse, that Jesus found Philip. By the way the tenses fall and the way the words are used, they present this, that this is a purposeful thing he's doing. It's not like he just stumbled across Philip. You see, he went looking for Philip. And it, it may be, and we, you know, I, I don't know exactly what happened, and I, I, we're, we're not told exactly how it occurred, but it may be that, that as they walked along and went to Galilee, Philip and, and Andrew, or Andrew and Peter, say, hey, we know this guy. We need to talk to him. So Jesus finds him. Or it may be that Jesus finds him, he's looking for him, and then he sees Andrew and Peter. You know, they're all from the same village. There's likely a connection. They all live in the same place. And so his story starts when Jesus finds him and says to him, follow me. Now we've talked a lot about what it means to be a disciple over the last couple of weeks, but... What we've looked at is more about being students, being superficial followers, being, being, a, being someone that can learn from somebody else. And, and what I want to do tonight is, is really think about what that means to be a disciple in the sense that Jesus was saying when he said, follow me. You see, because there's implications that go beyond somebody just sitting under somebody's teaching. There's implications that, that this is a deeper, more intimate move than just, I'm going to hang out with him a little bit, he's going to teach me some things, and I'll see him next week, and he'll teach me some more things. This is something that's more than, you know, I, I guess maybe for, a, for a, a, an illustration that might demonstrate what I'm getting at is, you know, as, as we look at someone saying, follow me, 
we look at it in the sense of the old horror movies. You guys remember, remember the old horror movies where Igor, somebody knocks on this big door of this old, dark, scary-looking mansion, and Igor opens the door, and he's all hunched over, and, and, and he, he says, uh, you know, he's all squinty-eyed, and he's got a limp, and he says, you know, they're looking for the master of the house, and he says, walk this way, you know. And so, inevitably, whoever, is this striking a, <laughs> striking a chord? Inevitably, the people at the door, you know, he goes limping off, he goes limping off, and the people at the door limp off behind him. Well, once they meet the master and Igor's gone, well, they're no longer limping, they're no longer squinty-eyed, they're no longer hunched over, and so they've had this superficial change happen in their life. And see, that's what we picture, in a sense, because of our culture, mostly, but in a sense, we, that's, that's what we get hold of, is we get this idea that if we can just make ourselves look like Christ on the outside, we'll be like Christ. But his call was much deeper than that. His call was, was, was follow me, which really called them to something much deeper. In fact, he teaches on this several times, but in Luke chapter 2, or Luke chapter 9, he gives a greater explanation. And I, I was struck tonight as we sung these songs, because it goes along a lot with what what I have to say, or what Jesus said in Luke chapter 9. I'll just read it to you. Just listen, and listen to what he has to say. <clears throat> oh, goodness. Luke, 20, Luke, 9, Luke chapter 9, verse 23 is where I'm going to read from. Verse 23 through 25. He's sitting and he's talking to his disciples and he says this. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, if anyone would follow me, that's what he's saying, if anyone would follow me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save him. You see, we've come to this place, and we touched on this a little bit last week, but we've come to this place in our ideas of what it is to be a disciple or what it is to be a Christian. And if we just believe, if we just say this prayer and, 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 and just tell people we believe, well, you're a Christian, you know, or if you just say, hey, I, you know, I, I believe in Christ, then, then, then you're a Christian. But the reality is, is that Christ is calling his disciples, his, his followers, to something much deeper. He says to pick up your cross and follow me. And when we think of cross, it's easy to think about the normal trials of life, whether we're unemployed, we have a wayward child, we have illness that we're dealing with, a sick parent, or, or some, some hardship of just living in this life. And I think that's a component of it, but I think it goes even further than that. You see, because as Christ used this illustration of picking up your cross, these guys, as they understood the word cross, and as they understood what happened on the cross, they understood that it led to death. There's nobody that came off the cross. You went on the cross and you were dead. You, I mean, that was, there's no getting out of it. Because once you're there, you're either going to die in a long time or they're going to speed up your death by breaking your legs so that you can't move. That's what the cross was all about. And so his call, and he expounds on it even further in the second verse that I read to you, is to follow him to the point that you're living like he is, that you're, that you're acting like he is, that you're walking in the same way he does, but that you're giving up your own desires, your own ambitions, your own, your own <clears throat> wants and wishes in order that you might bring him glory. Now, I say that, but I want to say it carefully, and I want to, I want to explain it just a little bit. Because if we take that too far, if we take that beyond what he means for us to do, we'll think, well, we're all supposed to quit our jobs and we're all supposed to just start uh, reading the Bible only and getting up and, and just doing everything we can to, to uh, act like Jesus. And, and, and some of that's true. But you have to be careful because... He doesn't call everyone to be an apostle. He doesn't call everyone to be a teacher. He doesn't call everyone to be um, a servant. Uh, 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 he, he doesn't gift everyone 
with the gifts of service. You see, what I, what I think he really wants people to do and what I think he's really calling people to do is not just step out of your life and live this life that's so, so full of self-denial, or, or not self-denial, that's probably a bad way to say it, but, but, but that's so full of just punishing yourself in order to follow him that you don't have anything that brings you joy or anything that, 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 uh, that you're a part of that, that you enjoy or makes you happy or feels good. Because on the other side of it, on, on the other side of, of that argument, there's a great call for his people to be happy and to be joyful. What I think that he's getting at is that as you live your life, as you live in the way that you're going to live in every situation, in every circumstance of life, bring him glory. Live like he would in that situation. Act like he would in that situation. Sometimes he's calling people to a life of self-denial. A, a life of just stepping out of something and giving something up that they totally love. But he doesn't always do that. You see, as you pick up your cross, it may not be that you have to change your occupation that you love. But it should be that you face that occupation and you work in that occupation no longer just to earn a living or to put food on your table but to be his disciple and bring him glory. It shouldn't be that if you're a part of, if you're looking at getting married, if you're, if you're looking at getting married, if you're his disciple, it, it's, it, it may not be that he's calling you not to get married. It may not be that he's expecting you to live your life lonely and empty all, all of your life. In fact, marriage is exalted highly in the Bible. It's, it's, a, it's a, 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 an illustration of what Jesus has done through the cross and, and what God is doing in this world. The, the church is the bride of Christ. It may not be that he's calling you to that, but it may be that rather than your marriage being the focal point of your life is that you're entering that marriage and, and that you are married today, not just to make you happy, but to be transformed by him and, and, and sanctified by him and that you see in your relationship examples of him and through your marriage bring glory you see, as you pick up your cross, you're identifying with Christ, you're walking like Christ, but all in all things, you're seeking to live like Christ. So he calls Philip to follow him. Philip's story, you know, we don't hear a whole lot about what Philip does, but, but Philip's story just goes on, and, 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 and uh, in fact, the very next day, Philip finds Nathaniel. He goes to Nathaniel, and, and um, so we see Philip following Christ and living as Christ would. And he goes to Nathaniel, and he says to Nathaniel, we found this guy we were looking for. And once again, a story, a, a life story is intersected with the, the life of Christ. Nathaniel says, well, golly, what good can come out of Nazareth? You know, that's almost like saying the president of the United States would never be elected out of Reed Springs. I mean, what good could come out of Reed Springs? I, and I, I don't know, you know, ultimately, uh, I guess the president could come from Reed Springs. But, but what good could come out of Nazareth? What, what could possibly happen? And you know, what I love about what Philip did, I think sets a great example for us. Because Philip didn't argue with him. He didn't say, hey, no, you got, you, know, you got to trust me. You got to, you, you got to listen to me. I got some good things to say to you. I've got these arguments I've been preparing for you. He didn't say that. He said, well, hey, check him out for yourself. Come and see. You know, I don't want to disregard or discount apologetics. Peter himself said that we should always be prepared to give an answer for the hope we have. But we're not going to argue anybody into heaven. We, we can't argue anybody into heaven. What we can do is always present Christ. Now the interesting thing is, is that as Philip followed Christ, and as he grew in Christ, you know, when he talks to Nathaniel, he didn't have all the answers. He didn't have it all figured out. In fact, he says, well, that's Joseph's son. 
He missed the point. He didn't have it all. But he was able to bring Nathaniel anyway. You don't have to have all the answers. Jesus is the one that said, hey, if you exalt me, if you lift me up, I'll draw people to myself. I'll bring people. I'll, I'll do the work of the transformation. I'll work the change in their life. I'll defend myself. All you got to do is bring people to the point that they can see me. That's the cost. And that's how his life began to be transformed. And so Nathaniel comes to Christ, and, and he comes, and as he's approaching, Christ says, Hey, there's an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. This guy is the true thing. He's the real deal. And he starts talking to Nathaniel as if he knows him. Nathaniel's struck by that, and he's like, well, wait, what's going on? You know, how do you know me? He says, hey, before Philip talked to you, I'd already seen you under the fig tree. And, and the scholars that I, that I read from almost all agree that this is a, a, a euphemism or a phrase that really talks about more about that he was sitting somewhere studying Scripture. And so he's sitting studying Scripture, and Jesus knows he's done this. He's already seen it. He's, he's known it already. And so much like Peter, who comes and is immediately, his name is changed. Nathaniel, Christ already knows him. He's always known him. You see, in his story, is intersected by the life of Christ. Because as this happens, he's struck by this truth, and he says, You are the Son of God, the King. Israel. You know what's interesting is as each of these guys' stories, their story begins to be told, they meet Jesus, and while they might have been skeptical, and they might have had questions, and they might not have understood everything, their story's intersected by Christ, and then they begin to get this personal experience, this personal knowledge of the Savior. And it doesn't leave them wrong. And all of them come to a place in their life where they're willing to admit that Christ is the Messiah. And they follow him. And, and, and in fact, in days to come, they're going to leave their jobs. And they're going to leave the ways of life that they live. And they're going to follow him totally. They're going to leave it all behind to follow him. To, to walk like he walks. To, to act like he acts. To love people in the same way that he loves them. A denial of self. So that he can be exalted. So we have these guys. They all have this story. They've all been transformed by Christ. And they're all still being used by Christ. Generations later, we're sitting here in a church and we're reading about what Jesus did in them. They all had a story. You all have a story. We have a story. And the interesting thing is, is that Jesus didn't stop doing his work then. He's still doing it today. Think about this. We start this church, and I say we because ultimately it feels like we're doing this work. But two years before the, ever, the first meeting ever happened, something begins to happen in a couple of people's hearts. I had no idea where I was headed or what was going to happen. See, Jesus was still transforming lives. And as that, as that began to happen, you know, I began to talk to a few people. I, I stayed silent with Amy as much as I possibly could because I didn't want to interfere or manipulate her decisions in any way. Christ begins to work in her the same thing that he began to work in me. And so a couple of people kind of have an idea of what's going on. But then as we, as we take another step, we begin to, to open up. And somebody else catches the vision. And little bit by bit, God begins to do a work. And now we're sitting in a room that the very first night we were in here, wasn't half as full as this. Now I understand some of you are from another church and, and, and some of you are, are thinking, well, I just came here to visit. Well, I'm going to tell you something. 
In fact, I'm just going to be bold as I say it. Monday, I sat down and prayed with my sat down and prayed with my family. We pray every night before we go to bed. And as I sat there and prayed, I prayed very specifically about the people that would be here tonight. And I prayed that God would, would do what he needed to do to get whoever needed to be in that room here tonight. And so I'm saying this in faith, but really trusting that God has brought you here tonight for a very specific reason. Because as we've seen Jesus begin with four men, because that's really what's beginning to happen. You see, he took four men who began to follow him. And here, 2,000 years later, the church is all over the world. There's little churches all over the world starting every day because of the work he's doing in people's lives. You see, as, as he took those four men, we began with a very small group. And we've seen people come along and get added. We've seen some fall away and, and go other ways, and that's okay. But the reality is, is that I believe that this is God's plan for this church. Is that he's going to do his work. And all we can do is exalt his name. You see, we live, and I, it's funny, I, I received this email from none other than my mother, which is kind of shocking in and of itself, um, that, that, you know, all of these, I got a YouTube video from mom sounds kind of strange. But I got this YouTube video that talks about that we live in an exponential time. We live in a time where things are changing rapidly. If you're one in a million in China, there's 1,300 people just like you. The, uh, I'm not going to remember them all, the 25%, the 25% uh, the of India's highest, people with the highest IQ that's a greater number than the population of the United States. They also pointed out that the kids on the honor roll in India outnumber all of the kids in the United States. In, um, oh, I wish I'd have brought all of this. I didn't bring it, but anyway, they, they point out numerous things. And it took 38 years for radio to reach an audience of 50 million. In 2000, I forget when Facebook started, but it only took them two years to reach an audience of 50 million. See, we live in a time where things are changing rapidly, where everything is happening fast, where it's exponentially, I mean, growth is exponential. And, and I bring that up because ultimately, what these guys began to do and what began to happen in their life is that as Jesus transformed them, they, they followed him and they allowed him to work in their lives and they began to reach out and reach people that needed to know Christ. Who needs to know Christ? Well, absolutely everybody needs to know Christ. So they begin to do this work and, 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 and now... All of their work is viewed and seen in Scripture, and God uses this and, and, and begins to demonstrate what he's done through these four men's lives. And all of the results now are exponential. I don't know how fast the church is growing worldwide, but in China they're saying it's in the millions every day. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know how they number that. I don't know how, it, how, it, how it's figured out. But the church is alive and well, and Jesus is working today. And, and the reason I believe, ultimately, that, that you guys are here tonight and that, that God's brought you into this place is not, is not so that you can hear me talk about this church and growing this church. Although I am going to talk to the people that are part of this church about growing this church. But ultimately, so that we can all 
walk out of here knowing that as we follow Christ, he will be exalted and his kingdom will be grown and tomorrow people will worship Jesus that don't worship him today and they'll have a hope for a future that's eternal, not just temporary. Not just, not, not, not something that's empty and going to let them down. But something that's going to last forever. You see, in this room, there's a lot of people that apparently know a lot more people than I do. If you don't know what Facebook is, it's a, it's a social networking thing on the internet. But on Facebook, just Facebook, Billy Kim is here, has 284 friends. I have 36 in common with him. Now you can do the math, but that's a whole lot of people I don't know. And a whole lot of people that he can influence for the gospel. Jackson has 936. I'm just saying, that's a lot of friends. 49 are in common. We know 49 of the same people on Facebook, or at least we've figured that out so far. We may know more, but 49 people in common, you do the math, but that's a lot of people that I can't influence or that I don't know. And here's our hero. You think 936 was a lot. Eight, 1,877 friends. Our little Bree has. I don't know how she has time in the day to have that many friends, but only 29 of them are in common that, that I know on Facebook. You see, what Jesus Christ did through four people, he's repeating that work over and over and over and over again. And you know people who I don't know who can be influenced by the gospel not because, not because you're good with words, not because you've got it all figured out, but because Jesus is Jesus, because it's true. You see, when Nathaniel didn't believe him, Philip said, check him out. When he checked him out, he saw that it was nothing but truth. Well, we don't have Jesus to, to point to. We don't have the physical man walking around that they can talk to and have this personal experience with. Let me go back to following him. Why is it so important that we don't just take on this cultural, this cultural stigma of a Christian? Why is it so important that we're authentic in who we are, that we truly follow Christ, that our life actually imitates him and looks like him and is genuine? Because there is a disconnect between someone who says they're a Christian and doesn't live like it and someone who says they're a Christian and their life demonstrates the fruit of it. Each and every person in this room who calls himself a believer should be able to look, just as we talked last week, you should be able to look at your life and see how that truth has transformed you. If you can't see that transformation, I'm going to call you to repentance. And I'm going to tell you that no matter how bad your sin is, Jesus loves you. That he died on a cross for you so that you could be forgiven and so that you could be saved. If you see that transformation, I'm going to call you and challenge you to let it be evident in your life. Because no, we don't have the physical Jesus walking the face of this earth anymore. But we have thousands and thousands and thousands of followers who live like him, and as they live like him, just as God became evident through Jesus, Jesus becomes evident through you. Each and every one of us have the opportunity to be the example of Christ, to be Christ for someone. Understand what I'm saying. You're, not, you're stepping into his role. You're taking on his role. You're not taking on his personhood. But he, they can see him in you. And they can begin to experience that personal experience that transformed Nathan, that trans, or Nathaniel, that transformed Philip, Peter, and Andrew. Every one of us have that opportunity. And as we continue to move forward through this year, I want you to hear my heart. 
I'm not here to build a big church. That's not what I want to do. I don't want you to ever feel like that's our call. Our call is to see people worship Jesus. To come to know him. To be transformed by him. And come to a place where they fall on their knees. And they cry out, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. In fact, just recently, I saw the end of a movie. And I'll close with this story and, and, and we'll, we'll pray. But I saw this movie, and you know, when I first, when it first came out, it's an older movie. When it first came out, I didn't want to watch it, and I'll tell you why I didn't want to watch it, because I thought it risked me being unholy if I watched it. I was being legalistic, and I thought if I don't watch this movie, I'll be okay. And really, I'll just tell you, I'm going to confess right now that is a stupid thing, because you can make decisions to do the right thing, but that's not going to make you more holy than what God's made you. He, you're called to live a life that's pleasing and, 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 and sin-free. But you're not doing that work on your own. Don't follow rules. Follow Christ. And follow rules in response to Christ. So anyway, I'm watching this movie the other night and uh, just caught the tail end of it. It's Bruce Almighty. I thought, oh man, that's going to be a sacrilegious movie. I can't watch that movie. But man, what a powerful message that movie portrays. If you haven't seen it, go rent it. And uh, theologically, it's probably, don't base your theology on it, but it, but it portrays a great and, and amazing picture. You see, Bruce is, is challenging God, and he's, he's like, oh, I can do better, I can do it all. And so God, who's portrayed by Morgan Freeman, gives him the chance, and he gives him his power. And so Bruce goes around doing all these things that guys would do, blowing skirts up and and just crazy stuff that normal guys would probably do, and misusing God's power, and, and actually just screwing everything up, screwing his own life up and screwing other people's lives up because he doesn't get it. He doesn't know anything other than being a selfish old man or young man. He's just selfish and self-centered, and he's using that power for, for self-fulfilling means until he comes to a point where I guess, you know, he's at rock bottom. I'm scared to think of what rock bottom looks like in many people's lives, but he, he's at the place where he's empty, he's lonely, even God's power didn't fix his problems. He's all alone. He's walking down the road, it's just pouring rain on him, and he, he just realizes all of a sudden that he couldn't do it, he couldn't figure it out, and he falls on his knees in the middle of the street, and he throws his arms up, and he says, I submit to your will, and he just cries it out, and you can tell how, how deeply he means it and how serious he is inside of his heart. I submit to your will. He's crying and he's just moved and then this light floods over him. And you think, oh man, God's come to see him again and it's a Mack truck and it hits him and it kills him. He ends up standing in the clouds and here comes God again and God says to him, or, or talks with him a little bit, and as he submitted to God's will, this change begins to take place in this man's life. And suddenly he realizes that the best way he can love somebody is by denying himself and denying what he wanted for their best interest. And then as the movie goes on, of course it's a happily ever after movie, and as the movie goes on, God sends him back and you see played out in Bruce's life the transformation that all of that made. We don't have all the answers. We don't, we, we, we're going to get things wrong, just like Philip. We're going to say things wrong. We're, we're, we're going to sound like we're stupid sometimes, but you know what? you know Jesus and you've had personal experience with Jesus and you know people that I don't know that need to experience what you've experienced they need to know Jesus and so whether you bring them into this church or some other church you get them someplace where they can worship Jesus because ultimately he's not finished doing 
He is still saving people, transforming lives, and bringing people into the life of hope and fulfillment. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Jesus, 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 he's the answer. He's the one that brings that fulfillment. Maybe, maybe tonight, maybe tonight, you do need to repent. You need to come to that place, and you need to fall on your knees. And I don't, you know, you could be in a Christian for 10 years, or 20 years, or 30 years, and you come to that place, and you realize you've known about Jesus, but you need to submit to his will. I challenge you to do that now. I don't know how that response is going to play out in your life just yet, but I just challenge you to submit to the will of Christ. For others of you, I'm going to challenge you to be ready to get up and go out of here and engage a world with the truth of Christ that will transform them for eternity. Father, we just thank you so much that you're still working, that you're still on your throne, that you're still doing what you do and what only you can do. God, I pray. I pray for miracles in the lives of the people in this room. Not just so that people can look at them and say, oh, wow, they're pretty special, but so that people can look at them and see you at work in their life and so that they can give testimony of what you've done in their life and so that they can point people to the fact that you're still doing what you've always done. Father, I'm going to pray that that you're just going to continue to build your church, whether it's through this local body or through some other. God, that you are going to do the work, that you're going to grow your kingdom, and that you're going to bring, bring people in to worship your son, Jesus Christ. I pray, God, that each and every one of us will live that life, that we might be used of you to show people what that looks like all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.